0: Um, I remember my daughter in the um in the tenth grade wanting to sign up for Spanish, and I was like, I love you, and I can't let you sign up for Spanish. You have to take Latin because you're behind on the your you know the way in which you look at words and so Two years of Latin will help you with ACT and SAT prep. It will get you prepared, and you know I had to go through like the tears of that. But I, but because I understood what it was going to mean for her to navigate a, a system that was already broken, I'm just the navigator of that, right? And I'm, and what I thought about the entire time was, I was blessed with, you know. A family of educators, I was blessed to understand how to navigate this broken system. But for the mom that's getting up to go at six o'clock in the morning to make biscuits at Bojangles, who had to take the bus to get there, like that call that says, you know, your your son is banging his pencil on the desk or you know what i mean like she is not in a position and like you know woe to her you know that she is being asked to do so many other different things and not even knowing that that's the floor discipline is the floor of what she should be thinking about
1: hello and welcome to learning machine a podcast about the uncertain future of education in the 21st century i'm sam squalachi here with my co-host nathan levin today on the podcast we have two guests Deirdre Reed and Bailey Cato-Zuprik. Bailey and Deirdre both come to us from TNTP, formerly the New Teacher Project, a nonprofit founded by Michelle Ree with the broad goal of eliminating educational inequity. TNTP has had a number of initiatives and programs over the years, but we specifically asked Deirdre and Bailey to speak to us about a 2018 report from them titled The Opportunity Myth.
2: On today's episode we will be focused on breaking down the ideas in the opportunity myth, trying to understand the way in which our education system makes promises to students that it doesn't and can't really keep. And we're going to be asking, can this change? As always, you can find links to any articles or organizations that we reference on our website. Support and inspiration for Learning Machine comes from you, our listeners. If you've got a minute and want to let us know what you think of our work, visit our website, www.learningmachinepodcast.com. Thanks, and enjoy the show.
1: So, Nathan, the reason that I wanted to talk about the opportunity myth is that I think it helps to talk a lot about the real problems that we have in our education system. Uh, First of all, it acknowledges this big lie in the education system, which is that if you're a student and you go to school and you work hard and you get good grades, that is all you need to do to make sure that you're going to be successful later in life. And for so many students, that just isn't the case. For so many lower income students and students of color, that ends up not matching reality. And the other reason is, is that it comes through to actually try to propose a solution. And I think As a podcast, I don't think that we want to endorse that solution, but I think that the ideas inside the opportunity myth are really valuable. And so I'm really excited to hear what other teachers and school administrators think of this idea. And I want more people to read it.
2: Yeah, it's really something that has, I think, reflects the reality of an education system versus what many teachers are taught in teacher training programs, right? Teachers At least i was taught in my teacher training program that education is a lever for equality it's the great equalizer Uh, i feel like i say that a lot but it it comes up so often and that quote is often misused but in reality and i think this is something that's actually going to come up in season two education is an incredible force for shaping society whether that means shaping a more equal or a more unequal society so It's not necessarily, right, this panacea, it can actually be something that stratifies. And in reality, we tell students that it's going to give them everything that they want and help them to achieve, you know, for all students to achieve this dream of a great life, a great job, go to a great college. But realistically, students are going to be stratified by the system and basically tracked into some tier of society.
1: Exactly. So let's listen now. You heard in the intro, Deirdre. We're going to have Bailey now explain what is the opportunity myth, according to TNTP.
3: We have an educational system that was designed for... I have a, I have a white little boy who's five. Uh, we have an educational educational system that was designed for... Grayson, except Grayson is also autistic. So we actually do not have an educational system. But like, if you look at the demographics of my little boy, we have a system that was designed and built for kids like him. Um, And the opportunity myth to me is like, we tell all kids um, knowing that they live in a society that is unjust and knowing that they live in a society that is racist and classist and sexist. Um, and homophobic and we could go on down the line, has no tolerance for no diversity, et cetera. Um, we tell all kids that if you come to school and you do what the grownups ask you to do, you'll be set up to reach your goals. And if you aren't set up to reach your goals, it's because you did something wrong. It's because you didn't work hard enough. It's because you didn't take the right classes. It's because da, 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 And I think for me, the opportunity myth is this just like fundamental promise we break to kids every day we tell them you come you do what we ask you'll be ready for what's next and that was just not true for so many kids in our society um and so as I think about you know what is the opportunity myth at its heart it is like it's a broken promise and a lie to children that then but that we then we put the blame on them um or we put the blame on individual teachers or individual leaders we 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 mostly put the blame on children to be fair but then we like we put the blame on other on other folks rather than on the system we have created um that was designed to serve the graysons of the world
2: it's sad and it's powerful and it's true and it feels like this intractable problem i don't know about you sam but i got into education because I wanted to work towards a more equal society and wanted to support students who maybe wouldn't, you know, or or support students who the system hasn't given the opportunity to, um, and it feels like, you know, me sort of adopting a little bit of a white savior complex because, you know, I recognize that now, but, you know, I think when I got into teaching, that was, a feeling that I had that I wanted to provide an opportunity for students who maybe wouldn't have had it otherwise, or to help students, you know, transcend their circumstances to achieve the American dream. But over time, and after being in the classroom, for a number of years, I have realized that what Bailey's talking about is so much bigger than any individual. It's systemic.
1: Exactly. I think I got into teaching for similar reasons to you and believed that I can go in there and be a really good teacher, right? I'm going to go in and I'm going to change things by virtue of the fact that I'm going to be good at my job right? as if that on that level. And I'm going to help some individual students to have a better experience. But when you participate in a system that, as Bailey put it, is already broken, you start to recognize that the big changes that need to happen have to happen on that systemic level
0: that's the cog in the wheel of the system. And so we could, if we could fix that, then everything would be okay. And what I loved and why I decided two years ago to come to, uh, to TNTP was the opportunity myth, because it really signaled for me a, a change in our, in our theory of change and the way in which we were looking at the world saying like, we can't talk about like individual actors in a, in a system that we have to acknowledge and address the structural problems and the system, the systematic problems that are happening to not only just students, but to teachers, to school administrators that like the system itself is broken and that we as individuals need to, you know, make our own personal commitments, but also collective commitments to upending the opportunity myth, to looking at the policies and procedures that either help to accelerate you know the change that we want to see or offer us barriers to the change that we want to see and that change from you know individualism and exceptionalism to collectivism like that this is our collective problem and that this is a policy problem and that we've got to figure out the policy we need to change not the person <laughs> because you can change the per- person over and over again you know like you're like oh if we had a better superintendent try that try that over the last 30 years. Oh, we have a better teacher in the co- try that over the last 30 years. It's like you will not see you will see incremental changes or we will have to continue to to lift up a bright spot you, but you won't see change at scale. Change at scale will happen when we decide that we will acknowledge that these are systemic problems and that we go and figure out where do we change the policy and that and that and for me that is not a um you know, that is not what we need to do in a bubble. So that is not for the superintendent to do or a small cadre of people in a back room to do. But that, that is a process that needs to be democratized and recentered where education really happens, which is everywhere, <laughs> like in the community. And so, like, how do we, you know, both acknowledge that it's systemic? you know, and say that a part of how we will get to, you know, sustainable change is ensuring that parents, students, and community members are a part of the conversation and use their power in that conversation, not just their voice, but their power in that conversation to enact that change.
1: According to the opportunity myth, we tell students that if they come to school, they'll be ready for the next stage of their educational careers. If they come to school and do the things that teachers ask, do the th- things that the adults ask, they'll be ready to go off and be successful in the real world. Part of the opportunity myth was TNTP polling different student bodies, asking them what they wanted out of their educational experience. And a few of the statistics stood out to me 94% of students vocalize wanting to go to college. And really importantly, 70%. Of all students have career goals that require a college degree. So based on what students actually want, based on the things that students are saying, this is what I want out of my educational experience, schools need to be preparing them for higher education. But what we see across the board is that many students are not being prepared for higher education.
3: From my perspective, the goal is not college for every kid. It's like me not damning you to having no chance at that before you're done with seventh grade or eighth grade. And so like, do I think that every single kid who graduates 12th grade has to go to college? No. But do I think that they should graduate 12th grade and not be able to be successful in college if that's the opportunity they decide to pursue because of the career they want or or the life they want to have? I actually... I do think that is like fundamentally a a problem. So I, I would not say that the goal is every kid going to and through college. I would say that the goal is like, by the you've given me 13 years of your life. And by the end of this, you should be prepared to do what you want to. And if you want to go be a lawyer, you're going to need to go to college and you're going to need to go to law school because that's how you enter that profession. If you want to be a, my brother is a coder who didn't graduate college and has a bang up lifestyle, Um, self-taught himself. Cool. That is fine too. But he had the option and looked at college and said, I don't want that. That is a very different experience than a lot of kids in our educational system have who get to the end of 12th grade, believe they were prepared for something realize as they're applying to schools that they weren't um, or I don't know. I don't want to quantify as like worse or not worse, but, or maybe worse, go get in and then realize they weren't prepared and have a, a whole bunch of debt that they have to figure out what to do with. Like, I want to live in a world and a society where kids get to make choices and where choices aren't off the table for them because we failed to, to teach them such that the choice could be on the table for them.
1: Okay, so Nathan, it's pretty heavy stuff there that we heard from Bailey, this idea that, you know, as we prepare students uh, for college, we get them there, and then they often realize that they don't have the skills to hack it. And I wanted to read you a couple more statistics from the opportunity. So tell me what you think about this. So nationwide, 40% of college students have to take at least one remedial course. But let me, let me add to that. of black college students and 53% of Latinx college students have to take a remedial course. Now let me add one more thing. A recent study found that college remediation courses cost students and their families 1.5 billion dollars annually with one in four students spending an average of 3,000 extra dollars to earn their degrees. If you if you have to take remediation courses it costs you more, right? It's a more expensive proposal. And and this is the thing that that really gets me. First-time bachelor degree candidates who take one remediation course are 74% more likely to drop out.
2: Oh. Man, that's that's brutal to listen to. <sighs> right, this idea that college for all right has been the mantra for so long that as with so many things i think there's a there there the the devil is in the details right that it's great to say that all students should go to college but if they're not prepared for college then sending them to college is actually a huge disservice and So instead of talking about college for all, right, we should be talking about college readiness for all, or helping students to know that they can go to college, but should weigh their options and consider what it means to actually go to college, right? This, um, I was reading a book recently about the idea that instead of, you know, for many students, it might actually make sense to go to community college for the first two years just to get a better idea and to mature and understand whether spending that money on college right off the bat is a good idea.
3: As I think about like the path we put some kids on, which is like pay a whole bunch of money to take these remedial courses that like net uh, uh, are not going to make you better able to do the courses that come next. (laughs) to, to, To be frank, I think there's a, we have a fundamentally broken as a system understanding of what to do when kids are behind. And what we do when kids are behind is give them stuff that is below where they should be. And we think if they work on enough below where they should be stuff, they'll catch up. And that like, we have so much evidence that that doesn't work. As I think about like, is college is college as an institution broken? I mean, I think colleges were designed for the same people that our K-12 system was designed for. So, And do I think that college costs way too much money? And do I think that there are policies that could be put in place to address some of those things 100%?
2: So I hear Bailey making two points here that are really important. The first is that we have a system which at some point sets students up to be at vastly different levels of preparation or um, learning. And, you know, students who are in the same grade or at the same age um, have vastly disparate skill levels. And we need to systemically look at why is our system broken why does it privilege certain groups to be ahead of other groups of students and and work to rectify those inequities the second point she's making though is maybe more pressing especially given that we're at the end of this uh, or coming to hopefully to the end of this pandemic and that is what should we do with students who are already emerging from or currently in the throes of this Inequality,
1: exactly, and the opportunity myth proposes four specific solutions to this problem, and and three of them are a little bit squishier to me because they talk about um, essentially, you know, deep they, they they reference deep engagement in the classroom, high expectations from teachers, and teachers that are uh, doing quality instruction, and I think those are all important things, and there are good arguments inside the opportunity myth to support all of those things. But the most compelling resource that is mentioned in the opportunity myth is that students need to be given grade level assignments. If you're in fifth grade, if you're in fifth grade math, you need to be learning fifth grade math. If a student is behind fifth grade in fifth grade math, if they have a third grade math level, if you're only giving them third grade math in fifth grade, they're not going to catch up to fifth grade. And we see this in a lot of different places we've seen a lot of episodes in our podcast where uh, people have talked about this lots of studies coming out recently have shown this and the education world seems to be converging on this but we still see a lot of remediation courses being used both in k-12 education and in higher
0: education also did i not put you on a path to be totally aware the last thing for me. So it's like, is it about college and career? It absolutely is. But it, uh, it for me, it is also about dismantling the school to prison pipeline. And so on the other side of that is this idea that if you aren't reading at a certain grade level, then they're making a prison bed for you. Or if you are not, you know, in a position where you are able to find work that is, you know, has a living, a living wage, you're going to be forced into a gig economy at best, and the underground economy at worst and you know especially for black and brown students you know black and brown children young people that is a that is a recidivism death trap that is a death trap for them and so like you know it is slavery under another name and so this for me is also an abolitionist strategy it is about how are we ensuring that students of color aren't you know unbeknownst to them and their families in this, you know, school to prison or zip code to prison pipeline that ends up putting them in a position where they are, you know, enslaved, honestly, enslaved.
1: It's an important thing to remember here as we wrap up uh, the final episode of our first season, that there are real world costs to not having a functional system, both in terms of what students, Are going to be able to achieve and expect out of their lives and also in terms of the punitive aspects of the system when the system doesn't work for certain students how does it set those students up for difficult pathways through life and essentially break the promise that we make to all american citizens that we're going to educate you and provide you with the opportunity to live a good life that you want and that you choose On today's podcast, you heard Deirdre Reed and Bailey Cato-Zuprik from TNTP. You can follow TNTP on Twitter at at TNTP.
2: This week, your homework is to read the opportunity myth. We have a link on our website where you can find the PDF, but you can also just Google the opportunity myth. And we want you to tweet at us and tell us your thoughts on the report. What do you think about the framing of our education system in this way? What do you think about the four resources as a way to solve this problem? And what might be missing from this picture?
1: I'm Sam Skolaci.
2: And I'm Nathan Levin.
1: You can find us at www.learningmachinepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.